Well, it's a privilege to be here this morning, and I've already uh, had the joy of speaking at the earlier service, and it's nice to see this place full now. Wow, this is great, and what a beautiful place you have here. And I want to commend you as a church. Um, you're just kind of coming out of a month of prayer, but then going into more prayer, and that's awesome. And uh, I also want to commend you for, over the years, sending people to the nations, and may that not stop. And we're going to be talking about the nations this morning. I was, uh, my name was suggested to come and speak by uh, um, Stuart here, Stuart and Jenny, and Stuart works on our member care team at Frontiers, and he's been a huge blessing, not only to the British people going overseas, but also to the Latinos that, that are with us. And God is raising up a whole load of new workers going from South America, South and Central America, and Stuart's been a massive blessing to them. And Jenny is one of our, um, or works with our trustees and uh, gives us a lot of wisdom and advice. So we're really thankful to them. And uh, yeah, and, and it's so good to hear that you've been praying for a particular group of Fulani people and the Pashtuns last year, and uh, now moving on to Japan. And what I want to talk about this morning is uh, we're going to take um, a, a look at God's heart for all peoples. And actually, I need the clicker. I forgot to come and get it. So I've got a few visuals to show you. <clears throat> so we'll gradually move on, on to it. We're going to be looking at God's heart for uh, all peoples and God's, God's plan for the nations. What's God's plan for the nations and what's our part in it? And as was already mentioned earlier, it's not just for a few specialists. This is for all of us. You know, we, we all just sang about the nations, that God would be glorified in the nations. How are we doing? Is he being glorified everywhere among all peoples? And so we're going to look at, briefly at that this morning and uh, see what God is doing, especially in the Muslim world, because we're, we're part of a group that particularly reaches out to Muslims. Muslims are probably, missionally, they're the biggest challenge to the church this century, because they form almost one in four people in the world, and many, it's reckoned probably nine out of ten Muslims in this world will never meet a follower of Jesus in their lifetime. Okay, as it stands at the moment. So, we're going to be looking especially at them. And I just want to start with read, a short reading from Acts chapter 1. It's good to get into the Word, because... As followers of Jesus here and as Gold Hill Baptist Church, we have a commission from Jesus. And as churches these days, I think we're especially good at thinking about strategy and thinking about strategically what, what's God asking us to do as a church. So Jesus said this to his disciples. So maybe you've wondered, you know, that, that kind of period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, he, he kind of hung out with his disciples. What did they do during that time? And Acts chapter 1 tells us, it says this, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So they got this 40-day seminar from Jesus about the kingdom of God, because that was the message they were going to take. So on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They weren't quite getting it. So he said to them, look, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So his last words to his, to his disciples were very important. The last words of Jesus. You will be my witnesses. Oh, we've gone on to that. <clears throat> you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in my experience, looking at churches, we, we lived overseas in Turkey for 15 years, me and my family. <clears throat> and... We raised our children there, and then we came back to this country 10 years ago, and so I've been working with churches, um, various churches around the place for the last 10 years. And what I've noticed is that churches are good at quite, quite good at putting a strategy together. And we, we go to, I live in High Wycombe, so just down the road, and I go to a church there, and our church is really good at reaching out to the community around. And we've got a great strategy for reaching the people around our church. I think that's a bit like the Jerusalem that Jesus says here. We've got a good strategy for Jerusalem. We've got quite a good strategy for our Judea. Judea is the kind of a bit further afield. So we, we've got this vision to plant five churches um, around the area of High Wycombe in, in the next few years. And we've got quite a good strategy for that. Then there's the Samaria that Jesus talked about. What's the Samaria? Well, I, I think... It's probably, we've got 20,000 Muslims and eight mosques in High Wycombe. And the Samaritans in Jesus', in Jesus time, they were, they were like people that had a slightly different faith, but were living nearby. And so maybe our Samaria is, is reaching the Muslims around us in, in High Wycombe and in the UK. And we haven't really got much of a strategy for that. And then the ends of the earth. What's our strategy for reaching the ends of the earth? Well, this is a strategy that I see in most churches. I'm not speaking for Gold Hill because I don't know. Only you know. But it is, if someone gets a call to be a missionary, then we'll support them. We'll pray for them and give them some money. That's it. <clears throat> but it deserves so much more than that because God's heart is for the nations. And so what are we thinking about as we sent to the nations. What does that mean for us? Because we really need to understand God's heart for the people of the world. Right through the Bible, we see the story of God's heart for the nations. And I'm going to take you on a quick whistle-stop tour through the Bible to show you that. That God's heart is not just for Israel. It's not just for his church and church meetings. It's for the nations, the world. So right at the beginning, Adam and Eve. After God creates Adam and Eve, he gives them a job to do. The first thing he says to them, your first job is to have lots of babies. Okay, he says, fill the earth and have mastery over it, rule over it. <clears throat> so fill in the earth, have lots of babies. It's always God's design that humans would live all over this world. That was God's design. And there would be multiple languages and cultures. 
I believe that was God's design right from the beginning. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so you know the story of Babel and the Tower of Babel? You know, that, what that story is about is the problem with Babel was that all the people of the world were living together in one place and trying to make a name for themselves, and they weren't filling the earth. So we read in that story, God came down and confused their languages to make them spread out. In other words, do what I told you to do at the beginning, spread out over the earth. That was always God's design. And then we know later on, God chose Abraham. And when he chose Abraham, the first thing he says to Abraham is, through you, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was Abraham's job description. Okay, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And uh, Abraham got off to a really bad start. Because that's Genesis chapter 12. If you carry on reading the chapter, just after God has said, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations, Abraham goes down to Egypt with his wife Sarah, and he says, just, just tell them that you're my sister, that you're not my wife, um, because I'm a bit worried they might kill me and get to take you. And uh, <clears throat> so as a result, um, we find out that the Lord inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household, and you probably know that story. And Pharaoh finds out what's actually happened, that he's been deceived, calls Abraham in and says, please get out of my country, just leave. And that was Abraham's first task as a missionary. He kind of, it didn't start well, did it? But God always had a heart for the nations out there. And I could tell you so many stories from the Old Testament, but just thinking of one, Jonah going to Nineveh. Now, the Ninevites were the worst, most wicked, evil people on earth at the time. And God loved them. That's amazing. God doesn't just love nice people. The gospel isn't just for nice people. The gospel is for the most wicked people on earth. It's for ISIS. It's for Al-Qaeda. It's for um, some of these terrorist groups out there. The gospel is for everybody. And uh, so he sends Jonah to the Ninevites. It's quite a funny story because, you know, 120,000 people repent in that story and then Jonah goes out and sulks. I just thought, man, you had the best story for a newsletter ever. <clears throat> but he doesn't. He just goes out and sulks because he's not happy that God is saving evil people. Wow, I wonder if there's some of that in any of our hearts. And then Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. That's probably the most famous story from the book of Daniel. And we love to tell it to our children. What's the point of that story? Daniel and the lion's den. Is it to show us that God is so strong he can even shut the mouths of lions? Well, big deal. It's not about that. When you read the story of Daniel and the lion's den, read the next bit because the point of the story is what happens next after Daniel's brought out of the den. This is the point of the story because what happens is Daniel is in a foreign land. He is God's missionary to that place. And he's taken there, he didn't volunteer, he was dragged off there to the Babylonians. But after that story, he gets saved out of, from the lion's mouths. And <clears throat> this is what it says in Daniel 6. The King Darius, who liked Daniel, King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. And this is what he wrote. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. 
His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. It's almost like a hymn, isn't it? What a beautiful song that would make. (laughs) That King Darius, this kind of Gentile king who was so far away from God, when he sees the miracle, he's like, wow, this God is amazing. And he commands everyone in his kingdom to worship the God of Daniel. That's what the story of Daniel and the lion's den is about. Because God, God is interested in his glory among the nations. And so that's the story. So that's Daniel. Then there's Esther, who's uh, God's missionary to the Persians. And then there's a whole load of other Gentiles who uh, come and play center stage in the Old Testament. There's Melchizedek, Jethro, Balaam, Rahab, Ruth, the widow of Zarephath, Naaman, the queen of Sheba. And then we come into the New Testament. And as Jesus is born, God reveals it to two types of people. One is the shepherds, the poor shepherds, who who were Jewish shepherds. But it was also to the Magi. Isn't that interesting? This Jewish Messiah arrives and God lets some people in an eastern country know about it, these stargazers, because God's heart is for the nations. He's not just interested in his church and in Israel. He's interested in the nations. He wants his glory to go to the ends of the earth. So it was always God's design that that should happen. And the psalmist understood that, right in this. And this, again, is a a mission statement for us. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. That's the job of the church. And the really cool thing is that if you're involved in missions, you'll win. You can't fail. If you're involved in missions, you cannot fail. Now, how do we know? Well, we know because we've seen the end of the story. Because in Revelation, we're told that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, language, dressed in white, standing before the throne, worshipping people from everywhere. And that's the great thing. And... I gave an analogy earlier. It's a bit like watching Match of the Day. So if you're into football, you'll get this. If you're not, don't worry about it. Just switch off for a minute. But <clears throat> it's like watching Match of the Day. Now, I support a team. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to make any enemies. But it's a miserable life being a football supporter, okay? Because you're mostly unsuccessful. But when your team wins on a Saturday, you watch Match of the Day. When your team loses, you don't, okay? <clears throat> so when you're watching Match of the Day, you know the score, right? And so you're watching your team win. And even if they're 3-0 down at half time, you can relax because you know what's going to happen. Okay? You know they're going to win in the end because you've already seen the score. And the thing is, we've seen the score. We know that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. That's the good news. The tough news is that some of those people still don't know. They still haven't met the Savior. No one's introduced them. That there are parts of this world where the gospel still hasn't gone. But we're on the winning side. And so the invitation to missions is saying, do you want to be part of that game? Do you want to be part of the victory that is going to happen? Or do you just want to watch from the outside? Now, I got into missions through um, my girlfriend. I was 18. She was 16 when we started dating. 
It just seems so young now, doesn't it? Like, I wouldn't let my kids date when they were 16, but anyway. <laughs> but after about a year of dating, she said to me, I've always wanted to be a missionary. She, was, she just started to train to be a nurse. And I thought, oh, why are you going out with me then? But God started to do a work in me at that time. And uh, I remember one day I was in work, I was working in a timber yard, stacking timber. And I just stopped and said, I'm going to be a missionary as well. And it started us on a journey. We later went to Moreland's College back in the mid-90s. And uh, while we were there, God woke us up to the needs of the Muslim world. That there's all these places. A, a guy from a, a group I'd never heard of called Frontiers came, and he brought a book with him. It was called Planting Churches in Muslim Cities. And I was converted by the title. Didn't need to read the book. I'm like, wow, you can do that? That sounds really adventurous. I want to do that. And so I bought the book, read it, and knew that was what we were to give our lives to. And God started to use us in ways that we never expected. You know, before we went to Turkey, I'd never seen anyone come to faith in this country. I'd done a lot of evangelism and gone out sharing my faith with people. I never saw anyone come to faith. And then when I went to Turkey, suddenly God started to use me to reach Muslim men. Very early on in our time in Turkey, I, I was learning Turkish. For the first two years, we were told to learn the language and stay married. That was our job description. And uh, so I was learning the language, but I also started teaching English uh, to some young people, some guys in their early 20s. And I was 30 at the time. And one day we were walking home from one of the lessons and one of the students said to me, do you believe in angels? And I said, yes. And he seemed surprised. Then he said, do you believe in the jinn? Now the jinn is where we get the word genie from um, in English. It means spirits. Okay, do you believe in the spirits? I said, yeah, I do. Why are you asking? He said, well, I was being attacked by one in my bedroom about four years ago. I said, wow, what did you do? He said, well, someone gave me a prayer from the Quran, and I read this prayer for a month, and then the, the, the uh, jinn left. I said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, I've got some friends, and they were being attacked by a jinn, and they told it to go in the name of Jesus, and it left immediately. And he's like, wow. And I didn't know what to say next. <clears throat> so I said, why don't you come around to my house sometime? There's something I want to show you. And he said, okay. And I thought, what am I going to show him? <laughs> so about a couple of weeks later he, he did come to my house and I, I'd chosen a couple of stories from the Bible showing Jesus' authority over the jinn and we started reading the Bible and I remember clearly he shut the Bible after we were reading this story he said, I don't want to know about the jinn he said, tell me about Jesus who is he and why did he come and so with my I'd only been there about nine months my poor Turkish I tried to explain the best I could but we started just reading the Bible together regularly. And he came week after week, and we, we read the Bible together. And then another student came, and another one. And these guys came to faith in Jesus, and we started our first house church after a year in the country. Because God just started to use us. God always rewards faithfulness. Always rewards faithfulness. And so I think, wow, if God could use me with bad Turkish, then it must be him speaking through me. It was an amazing thing. So God uses all kinds of people. And what is God doing now in the Muslim world? 
Because back in the 90s, no one was talking about church planting among Muslims. We were talking about evangelism, but no one was talking about church planting. Back in 2013, a guy called David Garrison wrote a book called A Wind in the House of Islam, which some of you might have heard of. In fact, I heard he came and spoke at this church um, back, back then. And what he did, he, he was a, a missionary and a historian, and he researched where have we seen movements to Christ in the Muslim world over the centuries. Okay, Islam started in the seventh century, so it's been around 1400 years. Um, so where have movements to Christ happened in, in the Muslim world? And so what he did, um, he researched movements to Christ. Now a movement, okay, just stick with me for a minute. A movement is, uh, needs a definition. What are we talking about? So he said, well, let, let's call it, a movement is a thousand people baptized within a people group or a hundred churches started. That's one movement. Okay, so where has that happened in the Muslim world over the centuries. So he did some research, and this is what he discovered. So nothing for the first 300 years, and then in the, I think it was the 10th century, there was one movement he found, and then 300 years later, two more. Then in the 1800s, he found two more movements. Between 1965 and 2000, he found 11. So something started to happen towards the end of the last century. Then between 20, 2000 and 2013, he found 69 movements to Christ among Muslims. So you think of the, yeah, praise God. <laughs> you think of the, what happened with 9-11, the, tower, the planes hitting the towers, that woke something up. God uses the events of history to wake up the church and to wake up the world to their need of him. And it woke up the church to the Muslim world because suddenly the Muslims were on our front page every day. Well, hallelujah, God woke up the church and said, let's start praying for these people. Let's start going to these people that need the gospel. And so 69 movements since then, we don't know how many there are right now in the Muslim world. Maybe there's 100, who knows? So God is doing something like we've never seen before. And that might seem like job done, but it's not. <laughs> okay, there are 1.6 or 1.8 billion Muslims on this earth. Nearly one in four people on this earth is a Muslim. So David Garrison described these movements as a pinprick on the back of an elephant. But something is happening in our day that we've never seen in history before in the Muslim world, that there's a harvest waiting to happen. So many people are looking for purpose, and some cracks are starting to appear. And I think in our generation, it would be an absolute disaster if there's a harvest that we just let the harvest rot in the fields. When there's a harvest, you need people to go and reap that harvest and work the harvest. And so when Jesus told us to pray, and you're a church of prayer, one of the things he commanded you to pray is pray, ask the Father for workers for the harvest. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, ask for workers. So that's one of the things you can be praying for. Ask for workers from this church. So God is doing something around, around the world and in the Muslim world that we've never seen before. 
So just as I begin to close, I, I want to talk about a couple of myths that sometimes creep into the church. And I think these are things, I, I believe these are seeds that Satan sows into the church to stop us reaching the nations. One is this, there is so much need in Britain that we need to stay here and focus here. That is not true. There is a truth that there is so much need here. But you know, anyone in the UK can find a church. Probably everyone in the UK at some point in their life will either have had a, a Christian friend or worked with a Christian. So there is a great need here. But let, let me just illustrate this. So I was asking Dave earlier how many chairs are here. There's almost 300 chairs. Let's call it 300. Okay. So we're going to do a little experiment. We're going to bring in a random selection of British people and we're going to fill this church, just random British people, and say, do you follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If so, raise your hand. Okay. And we're going to ask people to do that. I reckon you would never be sitting more than 10 seats away from someone with their hand up. So there's an opportunity for everyone to meet a follower of Jesus here. Now, we lived in Turkey. Let's do the same thing in Turkey. Okay, so we're going to take a random selection of Turks. We're going to fill this church, and we're going to ask the same question. Do you follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? How many people would raise their hand? You would have to fill this church 50 times before the first hand went up. That's what it's like there. So do we say, there's so much need here, let's stop sending? No, there's, there's people that are desperate for the gospel, but it needs someone to tell them the gospel's a message, it must be heard. So that's a myth. Another one is that we should just leave it to the locals to do it. And so there's some really good mission agencies out there who are saying, give us your money, we'll, we'll, we'll support Indian evangelists to reach India or, or whatever. And that's quite a good method, but... It's only reaching a certain amount of people. So there's a lot of support for Indian evangelists, but they're only going to the Hindus. There are 180 million Muslims in India who they're not going to. So we need to work together with them. And that's the wonderful privilege that we have. So not leaving them to do it. Plus, Jesus told us to keep on going. You know the Great Commission. I hope you know what the Great Commission is. <laughs> which is go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. But Jesus said this, and I've missed bits out here just to show a point, but Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then at the end he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So how long do we need to keep sending for? Jesus has told us, keep going until the end of the age. Because the promise to be with us till the end of the age goes to hand in hand together with the Great Commission to go to the nations. So we keep on going until the end. And so I just finish with, with a challenge for you in, as individuals and as a church together. What, what will be your part in this? And maybe you've had a good legacy of sending people to the nations. Well, let's continue to do that. Let's continue to encourage our kids you know, in the children's work, open their eyes to see what God is doing in the other countries. When I was a child, 
I really thank God that my, my parents taught me how to tithe my pocket money. And tithing is great because God has given us this idea of tithing and he's made it so simple because it's divided by 10. If God has said give one thirteenth, that would be really complicated, wouldn't it? But he's made it really simple for us. So I used to get, this shows my age, I used to get 20p pocket money and I had this little box for MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, and I put two pence in every week because my parents taught me to do that. But it gave me a heart for the nations because I started seeing where my money was going. And where your treasure is, your heart will follow. It's not the other way around, by the way. <laughs> where your treasure is, where you put your money, then your heart will follow that. So let's encourage our kids in that. God is asking for volunteers. Sometimes we just expect, if I'm going to do missions overseas, I've got to wait for a call. I say that's nonsense. Sometimes God uses a call. But other times he asks for volunteers. There's one example in Isaiah chapter 6 where you see that glorious picture of Isaiah before the throne. You might know that, that passage. And God says, who will go for us? He's asking for a volunteer. The fact Isaiah is the only person in the room at the time that kind of <coughs> puts a bit of pressure on. But, but Isaiah says, Lord, here am I, send me. He volunteers to go. And God is looking for volunteers. Who's going to go to the nations? Who's going to go to the places where the gospel hasn't gone? And there are so many opportunities to do that today. And we would love to, at Frontiers, talk to anyone who is not necessarily con committed to going, but if anyone's saying, I'm not sure, then what we do is we talk to them. We've got a community of about 50 young people right now that are in a community together, of people that are considering their calling to the nations. And so as a church, what is going to be your strategy for reaching the nations? Will you have a focus on unreached peoples and start looking for people in the church? Who should we be inviting to go and making that challenge to That's something you can do as a church. So I brought a couple of magazines with me, which there'll be some on the exits. If you want to read more about how, how can my church be involved in missions, we've got the magazine there. And this one is looking at, it's called Back to the Future, just came out last week. And it's looking at what, what are the challenges for the next 30 years that we're expecting um, that, that we can face. Uh, with urbanization and all kinds of things. Anyway, you, you can read about it there. But I want to pray for you as I, as I finish my talk now and pray that God will use this church and your prayers and your giving and your sending to have an impact on the nations for eternity. So let's pray. Yeah. Lord, would you give us your heart for the nations? I just thank you that you make it so clear in the Bible that you want people from everywhere to stand before you. Yeah, give us your heart for the nations. Give us your perspective on the needs that are out there. Lord, our heart does long for people here to come to know you. So Lord, use this church to be a blessing in this area, but use this church also to be a blessing to those places where the gospel hasn't gone. Lord, we just think of so many people who would love a Christian to come and talk to them. So Lord, would you raise up people from here who are going to go to the nations and may this church have an impact for the nations for eternity. Thank you that we know the end of the story and thank you that your name 
will be glorified throughout the earth. And we praise your name. Amen.